Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan, where you might see that I turned 32 years old today. Happy birthday, Adam Vingan. It's Happy- very cool. It's very cool on Twitter when it's your birthday. There's like superimposed balloons that fly at you or something. I don't know. <laughs> I get that when my like brother texts me happy birthday or congratulations and then all the balloons fly up on my phone and I'm like, oh, how'd that happen? Oh, I'm officially yes, exactly. I'm officially middle-aged now. Um, all right, so we got a lot of stuff to get to on the show, how the Preds are actually playing good hockey, some of the the, the young players, a Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm uh, argument, I guess, uh, discussion, debate, uh, as it pertains to the trade deadline coming up. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, of course, we will begin with Hot Mike Gate. I, I don't. You're the writer. You've got to come up with a better name than that. I, it shouldn't be that hard. Um, but of course, we are brought to you by Jaspers, our wonderful and amazing friends at Jaspers. There you go. We went and watched some college basketball last weekend, Adam. It was great. Great specials, four to six happy hour every single day, and of course during Preds games as well. The gold standard cocktail is at Jaspers. As a, we're we're going to move quickly through all of this stuff because we've got our first like lovers debate here on the podcast. Our first quarrel on the show, which we're going to get to in a, in a second. But go to Jasper's first. Great food, great menu, free parking, great place to watch the Preds. Uh, actually playing good hockey right now, which we'll get to in a second. All right, go to Jasper's. Jasper's is great. Let's get to arguing. So, I don't... You wrote the story. I have not read your story yet. So, I, I do not know exactly where you fall on this. But basically, you texted me with my own tweet and said, we are going to argue about this. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, let's lay out for everybody what took place. Um, Adam, if you can sort of give me the time of the game, the hot mic, Tim Peel, the referee, the NHL's subsequent decision on Wednesday. Can you kind of lay, lay that out first before we start yelling at each other? So it was early in the second period last night, Tuesday, Predators Red Wings when... Victor Arvidsson was whistled for a tripping call on Red Wings defenseman John Merrill. And you could tell that Arvidsson was incredulous uh, by the call on the broadcast. Chris Mason went as far as accusing John Merrill of diving on the play. Um, but the call was the call. The Predators killed off the penalty. And then at the next TV timeout, as, as the broadcast was going to, going to commercial, you could hear one of the officials on a hot mic saying something to the extent of, I do not have the direct quote in front of me at the time. Actually, no, I don't. I'm sorry. Well, Wait, let, do I? Let's, it, I do have it. I do have it. Let's, let's, you, go, let, let's go ahead and play it for the audience. Okay. Let's play it for the audience. So that was heard. And John Hines, after the game, was asked about it. He was diplomatic about it. He said, quote, the situation is what it is. I think from our perspective, it probably doesn't matter how I feel about it. But the referees are employees of the league, employees of the league, excuse me, rather than me comment. I think that it's an issue that I think the league will have to take care of and take care of. They did uh, (laughs) this morning uh, when when the league announced that Tim Peel one of the officials working the game last night, Kelly Sutherland being the other, but it was Tim Peel 
who was caught on the hot mic saying what we just played. And I do not have the statement in front of me. Do you happen to have the statement in front of you? The National Hockey League Senior Executive Vice President of Hockey Operations, Colin Campbell, that's a nice title there, announced today that referee Tim Peel, following his comments during the game last night between the Detroit Red Wings and the Nashville Predators, no longer will be working NHL games now or in the future. Quote, nothing is more important than ensuring the integrity of our game, Campbell said. Quote, Tim Peel's conduct is a is direct contradiction to the adherence to that cornerstone principle that we demand of our officials and that our fans, players, coaches, and all those associated with our game expect and deserve. There is no justification for his comments, no matter the context or his intention. And the National Hockey League will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of our game. End quote. Do you think that whomever published <laughs> that particular press release wrote it with as wrote it as vigorously as you just read it uh well mine was entirely sarcastic i i hope everyone picked up on that uh i think the nhl i don't know we can start with the with the statement unless you think there's more to lay out here i think there is a lot more context we need to discuss but the other context about the, the most important thing is that tim peel is retiring essentially in like <laughs> in like a month and a half yeah and that so, was the report this morning that from elliot freeman that Tim Peel was planning on retiring near the end of this season. They just sped up that retirement by asking him to leave. So I had actually heard, actually I had heard this morning and I haven't been able to confirm this, but I heard from someone who would probably know this sort of thing that Tim Peel was actually planning on retiring last season, but he was asked to come back for one more year to guide a relatively inexperienced group of officials. So, so he actually delayed his retirement, <laughs> then had his retirement thrust upon him. His delayed retirement it, thrust upon him. All right, I'll get started then, because I just I, I'm going to try not to yell here, but I just think the entire thing is so freaking soft. It's soft by the NHL. It's soft by the league. That it's a, it's a get out of jail free card for them because they can look all big and tough and mean and surly by firing a guy and oh they're taking a stand for the integrity of the game. The guy was retiring in a couple of weeks. Like give me a break with that crap. It's it's a chance to look tough without actually being tough. You actually don't have to take any tough questions or have any tough conversations. You get to just put out a statement, make every make Preds fans happy. You're next Preds fans. So just sit there and take it for a second, okay? Because Preds fans, you're soft too in this entire thing. And I know, Adam, you're I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but you, you, Preds fans have been, they, they've thought the league has it out for them for like the last, ever since Philip Forsberg's skate was like a half an inch above the blue line. In well, Pittsburgh. it was actually game six with Colton Sisson's goal being overturned. F fair enough. The Preds fans have had this mythological thing that they've been in their minds about looking for the smoking gun of evidence that the NHL hates the Preds when in fact Gary Bettman single-handedly saved the Nashville Predators, brought the Nashville Predators here and has been forcing Nashville into the national market for the better part of five years now. Uh, the NHL is in love with Nashville. The NHL is obsessed with Nashville. To think that there is some conspiracy is absolutely ridiculous. And then to this, this is what Preds fans think they've found the smoking gun. No, Tim Peel has been a average to below average ref for his entire career, made a lot of mistakes, has has mentored, to your point, a lot of young refs over the course of his career. And he said something that is probably said in every single hockey game and every single sporting event in the history of sports. And a hot mic happened to catch it. It was a bad call. 
I don't understand the outrage. Everyone is soft, full stop. That's a lot to digest. I did not expect all of that. I expected to. I expected for you to mostly yell at me. No, I. I well, I'm going to wait to hear what you have to say. And then <laughs> well, I, I just think that, as we like to say these days, Tim Peel was caught saying the quiet part out loud. Now he did not anticipate being heard, but he wears a microphone. There are microphones throughout the arena, around the rink, to pick up ambient noise. There are plenty of um, microphones. So we don't know which microphone was responsible for picking up this particular uh, comment. Uh, But whatever happened, Tim Peel was reprimanded for it. And I agree with you in the sense that we know this stuff happens. We know makeup calls and questionable calls happen all the time, not just in the NHL, but in all sports. I am a New Orleans Saints fan, okay? I was on <laughs> I have seen I have seen plenty of this lately. In fact, I would argue that the the non-call pass interference in the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago was the most egregious non-call in the history of the National Football League. And there was no makeup call for that. The Saints still lost that game and, and did not have an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. So, of course, I'm a bit sour about that. But I, I think the NHL had to do something here. I understand your point. Was it his I, fault? Was it his fault that the microphone? Because I, everyone, it was not it, his fault. Well, we don't know that. Perhaps that, that's, was, that's true. That's perhaps true. it was his mic because. Because you, as you, we you know, have control over it, but can you yes. get it all the way to the truck though? Like, I, I don't know. Like, can you I don't, I, I don't know the, I, you know, I, I decided to study print journalism, not broadcast journalism. <laughs> so I don't know how all of these fancy microphones work, but all, but both officials have their own microphones because of course they have to announce the penalties right. when they happen. So perhaps Tim Peel accidentally, accidentally left his microphone on, or maybe he, nudge the button on accident while he was talking who knows but you have to be responsible and and not just in you know not just in in this particular instance but nothing no conversation is really private anymore so even if 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 tim peel and kelly sutherland who was the other referee working the game are having a conversation they have 20 times a game you have to be careful about what you're saying wait until you get into the official's dressing room um, when you're in the privacy, I, I don't want to live in a room. Cu- couple of, couple of, th- couple of things. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, number one, I don't want to live in that world where we have to be so freaking sensitive about everyone else's misperceptions and feelings. I just think we're that this is the politically correct cancel culture world that we're living in right now. And this guy just got canceled for basically nothing. So here, here's my issue with the quiet part out loud. He said the out loud part out loud. This is a conversation that happens between referees in every sport. Now, look, there's actually a really good piece by Greg Wyshynski on it actually is on Yahoo. And somebody sent it to me this morning and I, I should give credit to who sent it to me. But one of our listeners sent it to me and I went and read it. Greg Wyshynski sat down with Tim Peel for like an hour and a half at a bar in New York. It's a great story. And, and there's two real reasons why Tim Peel has turned into the, you know, the Internet meme that he is in the NHL world, which is he gets calls wrong. <laughs> Number one, he's had some bad calls. And and number two, he, the NHL is constantly changing the rules to force officials to sort of put more emphasis on other calls. And that's sort of why he's had 
you know, a track record. And then Wyshynski asks him, why aren't, why haven't you refereed in a Stanley Cup game? And he said, because there's other guys that are better than me. So he's just not a great ref. We can just all assume that. So if your problem is that Tim Peel sucks, then then your issue should be, why wasn't he let go earlier? Not what happened on Tuesday night. You should say, well, he should have been, he should have been fired a long time ago if he's a terrible referee. So the, and the, and the last part is the integrity of the calls themselves. What, what do you think a conversation, what do fans actually think referees talk about in any sport? They, like imagine the, the clutching and grabbing in hockey. If, if somebody's getting away with something constantly for a period, for the entire first period, and you don't call it, eventually you're going to have to talk to your buddy and be like, man, we got to get a fucking call on these guys because they're doing something wrong and we've got to call it eventually. Or you missed a call earlier in the game and you have to make a, you, you need a makeup call. So maybe you called a ticky tack one that lead, led to, led to a penalty. Do you guys really think this is the first time that conversation has ever been had by any referee ever? Of course not. Of, of, course it, of course it's not the first time it's happened, but how often are they caught on tape saying it? That's the issue. It's not that he said it. And perhaps that's why I, I joked about him saying the, the quiet part out loud, because these conversations, as you say, do happen. I mean, it's only natural. We talk, I mean, even in your own, even in our own walks of life, we, we gossip about things. We yes. talk about decisions that are made. The problem is, is that Tim Peel got caught saying those things. And, and I actually, this morning, I was working on a story that ended up not seeing the light of day because the NHL decided for once in its life to act swiftly about something. <laughs> I, I spoke to Kerry Frazier, who worked as an, as a referee in the NHL for 30 years. I believe he worked 12 Stanley cup finals, maybe 13 more than 2000 games total between the regular season and, and playoffs for Kerry Frazier. So he knows what he's talking about. And this is the quote that he gave me quote, because first of all, I asked him for his reaction to what happened. And he said it was unfortunate quote unquote. And then he continued. There are so many hot, there are so many hot mics around in a rink right now that officials can't have any sort of private conversation because somebody's always listening as an officiating crew. And ever since we've gone to the two referee system, there's times in the game when the two referees consult with one another about the flow of the game, the requirements that each game needs, no two games are alike. The good referees, the great referees have a feel for the game. He then continued. There were times when as a referee, I would want to have a penalty, not create one, but to have one happen for me. That was a gift that I could make a call for one reason or the other to bring the temperature down in a game. There may be a time in a game where one team has committed a majority of infractions. I mean, last night, there were four penalties called against one team, the Predators, and three for the other, the Red Wings. It's a balance. Referees aren't accountants. When the infractions happen, you raise your arm and you call a penalty, end quote. And, and again, isn't that saying exactly what Tim Peel said? Just he right, was doing that, it in the heat of the moment, in the middle of a game. With colorful language. Like, right. just, so, like, why is that wrong, then? Again, I don't... Now, correct I, me if I, I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Was the... That was after that was before the goalie interference call against Callie Yarncroke. So I, I believe so, yeah. If you're a Predators fan and you hear Tim Peel admit that he wanted to call a penalty on Nashville, and then the Predators score a goal, 
and the goal is overturned because of goalie interference, which was the right call, by the way. And, and, I, not, his, and not his decision, right? That's done by the league office up in it's It's, up in, it's in consultation with the situation room in Toronto, but the officials also have, a, they also play a role in that. They're so, not just letting the situation room make the call for them. So, but if you're a Predators fan and you see, and you hear what Tim Peel said, and then you see that happen, you wonder if, Tim Peel c- continues to have it out for the Predators. I, I just, th- that's that's the point where I get lost in the story. That That is the moment in the story where I go, what the hell are we talking about? Because for, for Tim Peel to have it out for the Preds or the NHL to overturn a goal because they have it out for the Preds is one step too far for me. I just, I cannot, it, it makes absolutely no sense. There's no truth to it. I cannot get to that point. You can say like, look, the mic being on was a mistake. Whoever's fault that was, it was a mistake. That's fine. I, I just don't see the issue with needing to find a penalty for an issue in a game due to the flow of the game as something that is wrong. And now the gambling aspect of this is interesting, right? Because a lot of people have pointed out to me, well, you can't, you have to have integrity in the game because gamblers. And I'm going, what, what is it that you think happens between ref in football? Like, like if you're a defensive back and the Seattle Seahawks, let's say, right? and you are constantly committing defensive pass interference for the entire first half of the game, but it's not called, eventually one ref is going to go to the other ref and be like, do we got to do something about this shit? They're, they're just, they continually are holding. We've got to start calling these penalties on Seattle. That, that's called doing your job. I, I just don't see, I, I, I don't understand what is difficult to, like why the integrity part, like Tim Keel, Tim Peel is not a great ref. <laughs> okay, like that's it. Like, I don't know what, there's nothing else there, there for me to find. I think Preds fans are shadow boxing. They are shadow boxing with this, this thing in their head that they think the league is out to get them when it actually is the opposite. You heard Jeff Merrick talk about it last week. The league is obsessed with Nashville and Bridgestone arena and, and Nashville being a hotbed and leaning into non-traditional like the, and the, the Nashville predators are good for the NHL. So I, I don't know. We, we got to move on and talk about real stuff. Here. I would like I, I just... to, I actually would like to point something out. So somebody actually tweeted at me a screen grab that I have from the Greg Wyshynski article you referenced the date being January 30th, 2015. Talk about a blast from the past. <laughs> and in, in the tweet, I say great story at by Wyshynski on Tim Peel, including this on Alex Ovechkin's penalty versus Pittsburgh. And I don't remember this particular penalty, but this is what the, the the blurb says that I screenshotted. Quote, Peel admits it was a call he wouldn't have made in a 1-1 game and wouldn't have made without knowing that the NHL wants this penalty for the sake of quote-unquote game management in order to ensure a 4 nothing game between two rivals doesn't get out of hand. Peel said he went over to Barry Trotz, who was coaching the Capitals at the time, after the call, explained it, and the coach, having seen the episode, this episode before, said he understood. So, I, 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 again, I'm okay with a suspend, like suspend the guy for a game, two games. Well, he was suspended for a game for. What's funny is that he wasn't suspended you know? for a game for participating in the interview with Greg. He took a picture with Greg that Greg oh, posted yeah, yeah. on Twitter of yeah, them yeah. like holding a shot, holding shots that they were about to take. And that reportedly led to him no, no, no. I'm I'm talking about, and if you go find the story now, it's been removed from the story. <laughs> but uh, I'm talking about for the incident with Nashville. Like suspend him a game, suspend him two games, suspend him a week. I, I don't know. Like I just this was the NHL. 
I, I think it's a soft move by the NHL to not to defend your own guy. And because you know he's actually retiring in like a month, it makes you look all strong and tough. So you can say, oh, we're firing him and we're going to take a stand on integrity. I, I think, Preds fans, I love you. Obviously, we love that you listen to this show. I, I just think this is one of those times where you need to get over yourselves and stop being so sensitive about everything. This conversation happens on the ice all the time. If, if it was a bad call, it was a bad call. And those bad calls happen all the time. You know, like it's just a part of games. People are imperfect. And Tim Peel's not a great referee. So, so um, I, I don't know. We've got to talk about other stuff, Adam. But other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers? Question mark? <laughs> no, Sorry, that was what was written on the teleprompter. <laughs> yes, it is indeed brought to you by Jaspers. It is definitely 100%, 110% brought to you by Jaspers. There, there is no question about it. By the way, I had the Collie Poppers, which I know you, um, you, you've been, you know, opining for, promoting, discussing on this show. I, I went with Steve Cavendish to watch some basketball last weekend. I sat at the bar, had some Collie Poppers on the, by the way, the, uh, the happy hour, 4 to 6 p.m. was perfect for Friday afternoon basketball games. So for six bucks, you get wings for six bucks. You get the sweet potato fries for six bucks. You can get the collie poppers. They were excellent, Adam. They are delicious. And if you happen to be married to a vegetarian, collie poppers, more delicious. Collie poppers work really well for, for, for that situation. That is for sure. Um, I, I will say though, that I was, if you're going to go watch your alma mater, lay a giant egg in the NCAA tournament, you know, Jasper's is a good place to to drown your sorrows. Had a couple of good beers. You know, happy hour beers were four dollars. It was it was nice, Adam. It was it was a nice it was a nice way to to drown the loss to Oregon State. Yes, I imagine so. At least you had a team to 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 root for in the tournament this year. I don't. You've complained now three shows in a row about Duke. Duke fans don't get to complain. Okay, you just don't. You're not talk about working the refs. You're not back to our <laughs> earlier conversation. You're not allowed to complain about anything ever as a basketball fan ever. You're you, you've ever, had, how many, how many championships have you had? Five. They could have had nine. <laughs> you stole one. Jamil Okafor stole one from my father and my family. How did that happen? Well, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, like many national predators, uh, Frank Kaminsky did not deserve to win a national. Oh my God. That goofy looking motherfucker. He didn't, he did not, he did not deserve to win a national championship. Adam Vingan, judging your championship pedigree by the way you look. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a no, much my, more successful basketball career that, than I have, That so. was the only chance my father and, and now deceased grandfather and brother will ever have at a championship of any kind and Jamil Okafor uh, and took it from him. Was that Kyrie Irving too on that team? I can't remember. No, that was, um, that was no, it was Tyus damn Jones, Grayson. It was Grayson Tyus Allen. Jones, Grayson Allen, Jaleel oh. Okafor, Justice Winslow. All right. Shut up. Um, no, shut up. Kyrie never won a championship. All right. That's enough. I, I, I don't feel uh, bad about a, that. a national championship. He did win an NBA championship. Yes, he did. He's got some, he's got some good handles, man. Uh, go to Jasper's where they have great handles. <laughs> they do have great handhelds. They, they have great handhelds. And if you see those, if you see those servers, you see Jamie or Jen say hello at the bar. They can carry a lot of plates. They got great handles. That's all I'm saying. Go to Jasper's. Mm. Watch the Preds. You get happy hour. 
seriously, fantastic happy hour for Preds games and from four to six every day, Monday through Friday. Go check it out. Great free parking. The parking lot is free and substantial. It, there's lots of space to be socially distanced, but of course we're coming out of this soon here. So just go out to Jasper's uh, and uh, support the support some local businesses. How about that? Sound good? Yes. Go to Jasper's. Otherwise, it was the Preds were damn good. <laughs> they, it was the first, a it, it was a good game. It's the first time. And this is what I thought, and I said it on on the four forty this on Wednesday morning. It's the first time they've played Detroit, and I thought definitively Nashville was the better team, and that's what they should have been looking like all season long against Detroit. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, that's what we expected them to do against the Red Wings, but that has not been the case. But the Predators have won four of five. Uh, they're within striking distance of a playoff spot in the Central Division, which, considering how we felt about the team right before they left on that eight-game road trip after they lost 6-2 to to the Florida Panthers, you know, we didn't think that road trip would go very well. And to their credit, they played, a, a, they had a respectable road trip. They were 4-3-1, and one, I believe, was their record on the road trip. Um, but they are 4-1 and one in their past five games and we're thinking well of course as we often do when it's struggling team wins some games have they quote unquote turned the corner so i pulled up their five on five stats over these five games on naturalstattrick.com the one that jumps out to me is that the team's overall save percentage at five on five in these five games is 95.86 that's fourth in the league over that span behind Washington, Tampa Bay, and Pittsburgh. So they're getting incredible goaltending. Yep. We saw it last night um, from UC Soros. We saw it from UC in that game against Florida, the 2 nothing loss. I mean, he's the only reason it wasn't like an 8 nothing game. But I'm looking at some of their other statistics, which are not sustainable. So, for example, uh, at 5-on-5, five five, their expected goal percentage in these five games is 43.88%, which is not good. You don't want to be that low. No. Um, and, 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 and simply what that means is that in terms of the quality of chances that the Predators are creating, they are getting beaten in that regard by a fairly significant percentage. Um, what's interesting is that their, that their actual goal percentage in these five games is 50%. They've scored six goals and they've allowed six goals. Um, according to natural stat trick, they've scored 7.87 expected goals, but allowed 10.07 expected goals. So what they're doing is underperforming offensively and overperforming yeah. in goal. Um, so, so, so basically I just yelled at the Preds fans and you just told them that their team isn't playing as good as their record indicates. I am not saying that you <laughs> should not be buoyed by the way that they've been playing. I mean, they, they're not dead in the water. Um, though I think we are going to, we are going to talk about this, that the predators should be unemotional. I'm not sure if that's the right word when the management that is when looking ahead to the next couple of weeks, uh, because I'm still incredibly skeptical of this team when it comes to the rest of the season. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks, who were playing over their heads, have crashed back down to earth. Columbus is is, is playing better. 
So the Predators, I believe, are four points behind both of those teams for fourth place in the Central Division. So they are suddenly within striking distance of a playoff spot. But what these numbers are telling me, it's similar almost to how they were playing in the second half of yep, last yep, season after, yep. the, after the coaching change was made. If you look at the statistics from the 28 games that John Hines coached before the season went on pause for four months, goaltending was the primary reason they got back into the race um, and ended up uh, ended up with the sixth best record in the Western Conference. Um, Amazing how that works out sometimes. It is. Goaltending is the great equalizer. <laughs> I mean, UC Saros was playing at an elite level for two and a half months. And he's playing that way right now. So they should be pleased that they're getting great goaltending because that cures all ills. But the offensive uh, numbers that they are producing in these five games are nothing to write home about. And if the if the goaltending struggles and these offensive numbers do not uh, do not uh, pick up, then the Predators might find themselves back where they were two and a half weeks ago. So obviously, since we've last been on, Saros was activated, I believe, last Wednesday. Roman Yossi came back on Tuesday night, scored a power play goal in the first period. So they're they're starting to get people back in some semblance. Now, Ryan Ellis, we'll get to Ryan Ellis and Matias Ekholm conversation in just a second. But Ryan Ellis, uh, I guess what, had surgery over the weekend. So not sure he's coming back anytime soon. He had surgery. Um, I I do not know exactly when he had the operation. I think it was earlier this month, though. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't. Gotcha. He injured gotcha. himself February 28th, blocking a shot by Patrick Lyon near the end of the Predators win that day against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And my understanding is that the surgery took place shortly thereafter. I do not know when, but I don't think it was a, oh, he just literally had surgery. Right yesterday when well, John and a, blocking a shot from one of the strongest dudes in the NHL. I, this is pure speculation and very irresponsible of me, but I would assume some sort of fracture of some sort of a bone, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's sort of the, the, you know, getting hit by a slap shot from a puck like that at that distance is that's, that would be, it wasn't, if I recall correctly, it wasn't a slap shot. Like a, it was more of a wrist shot, yeah. but even Patrick Line's wrist shot is stronger than a so, lot of people's slap shots. So it was still a very hard shot. So if we were to say, like, why is this happening? Can fans be excited about this? And and then again, the follow-up to all of this, as you've already alluded to, Adam, is does this change the direction that that this franchise should, from a strategy standpoint, deploy over the next few weeks? And And you and I both, I don't want to speak for you here, but I think we both believe firmly that they should not they they need to stay the the course of selling off some of the big pieces and trying to rebuild the franchise and here's the but here's the good news about that because it sounds like what you're saying is is despite dramatically overachieving on a absolutely brutal longest road trip in franchise history and then playing one of their more complete games against Detroit a, a bad team albeit with a bunch of winnable games coming up over the next week and a half that it, it it's not as real as we think it is. And while it's been fun watching, you know, Carrier, Alexander Carrier, for example, clearly has come a long way in the last two weeks. He, he is turning into a, a really fun player to watch. Ellie Tolvanen is now on the first line. There's clearly been progress and growth here. But when you talk about Chicago coming back down to earth, Columbus, who Nashville has owned this season, I still think you can sell off 
I still think you can trade pieces. I still think you can build for the future. And because there might be a really bad team, quote unquote, bad team making that playoff spot. <laughs> like unless Dallas gets everybody back healthy and goes on some tear there, there's a chance that there's a mediocre team in that fourth playoff spot. And you could still make the playoffs with rookies and building for the future at the same time. You can do it all this year, which is not a very normal thing to say. Yeah, but then you have to look at the teams that they could be playing in that first round if they are the fourth team. It could be Tampa Bay. It could be Carolina. It could be Florida. Now, look, the Predators only lost 2 nothing to the Panthers on, was that Saturday? Um, Saturday afternoon, but the analytics, oof. They, yeah, the, yeah. the Panthers kicked their asses. Um, they had an advantage of more than six minutes in offensive zone possession time. I think it was like 10 minutes, 15 seconds for the Panthers versus like four plus minutes for the Predators. And I think the slot shots on net difference was 17 to four in favor of the Panthers. I mean, the Predators got killed on the in analytic analytically in that game. You see Soros, as we just discussed, kept it respectable and kept the Predators within striking distance. The second goal being an empty net goal to close out the game for the Panthers. Um, but to your point about selling, I still think they should. Now, I wonder if perhaps they do a softer version of selling, as it were. Um, maybe they decide to hold on to Matias Ekholm, but they still move Mikhail Gramland. They still move Eric Halla, for instance. Maybe they move Nick Cousins. You know, maybe they still move those veteran guys on short-term or expiring contracts. But I, I think the Predators need to be careful. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago um, about the story I wrote earlier this month, the rebuilding guide for dummies. And we talked about how just as bad as, you know, poor performance is sustained mediocrity. And I didn't articulate that well, but you know what I'm saying? Like, is it, will it help the Predators to make the playoffs as the fourth team in the Central Division and lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning in five games? Like, does that help the Predators in the long run? No, it doesn't. And I'm not saying that the Predators shouldn't continue to strive for a playoff spot because it gives the season meaning. But I think, and I wrote about this the other day, I think the top priority for this team for the remaining 20 plus games of the season should be giving their prospects as much important playing time as possible. You know, we, we've talked about Ellie Tolvin, Ellie Tolvanen. You mentioned Alex Carrier. We talked, we've seen Jeremy Davies. We've seen Yakov Trenin, Matthew Olivier, Rem Pitlick. Those are the players that need this playing time. And you can trade players like Granlund and Halla and give their spots to younger players. And I think that's what's important. If the Predators make the playoffs, that should be the cherry on top, but it should not be their sole focus. I still think their focus should be um, prioritizing the prospects, giving them as much important playing time, because this is important playing time. The Predators aren't the Ottawa Senators. The Predators aren't the Detroit Red Wings. The Predators are still in the playoff hunt. And if you're trying to test how these young players are going to perform at the NHL level, this is a great environment for them to do so. Carrier is the perfect example of this. And, and Tolvanen to some degree as well. Like, look at how they played 10 games ago. And tell me how valuable the last 10 games of playing time has been or, or whatever the number is, eight games, whatever, right? Like tell you're not, you, you cannot convince me that they, they have not gained a ton of confidence and are playing a different game 
than they were when they first came up and kind of entered the starting lineup. Tolvanen's obviously played a lot more than, than Carrier, but you get my point because I'm trying to piggyback off what you're saying here. I, I do not want to see them hold on to Matias Ekholm, and I guess we can get into the Ryan Ellis debate at this point. And uh, between the two of them, I, I still want to see the big move to to restock for the future. I, I, it, to your point, if it if they if the rookies play their butts off, and I get to watch you know the the Yakov Trenin Colton Sissons Matthew Olivier line for the rest of the season, and they somehow work their way into a playoff spot where in a division fourth place is just a bad team potentially this year. Great extra bonus added bonus we get to watch some playoff hockey, but I, I do not want to see them hold back. I want to see them trading pieces to build assets. This like they're, they're three games away from being in last place again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I just, I know they're three games away from being in the playoffs too. I, why can't you do that with your young players though? I, I don't know. I, I, I do think the LS Ekholm debate, which you told me you wanted to talk about. And I thought that's ridiculous. Ekholm's the guy to move. And then I started looking at the numbers, diving deeper into the, the contracts and the age and the, t- and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see why it could make sense to keep Ekholm, try to resign him and trade Ryan Ellis. I, I could see that. The problem is, is that Ryan Ellis doesn't necessarily help anybody win a cup right now. Right. Well, if you're a team looking to acquire Ryan Ellis, maybe you're a team that's not on the cusp of winning a championship right now, but you're close. And if you have Ellis for five more years, he can help you get there eventually versus a team that's acquiring Ekholm that's clearly in its win now window and has to. What what returns you more between those two uh, options? I mean, that's a good question because, you know, the the major appeal of Ekholm is the affordability of his contract. Ryan Ellis has a higher cap hit and is under contract for significantly longer. Um, first of all, I have a hard time imagining the Predators trading Ryan Ellis. That is not to say that it couldn't happen because I never I don't. I don't deal in absolutes because I like to give myself a little wiggle room in case I'm wrong, but it seems unlikely to me that the predators trade Ryan Ellis. They have, they hold him in such high regard. And that isn't to say that they don't hold Matthias Ekholm in high regard, but you know, I, I really do think that Ellis, you know, holds a special place in that organization, um, especially with David Poyle. Um, so I, I just have a hard time seeing that happen, but it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm finishing writing something about it, but it's interesting when you look at these two defensemen, because analytically Ellis is the better defenseman, albeit slightly, but he is the better defenseman. The eye test supports Ekholm because one, he's durable. He I think I counted that he's missed 13 games since the start of the 14, 15 season. Wow. Seriously? Yes, and seven of them happened last month. Holy so before smokes. so before this season, he had only missed six games in like five or six years. So he's incredibly durable. He also is six inches taller than Ellis, and that weighs <laughs> him by thirty five pounds. So that also helps Ellis. Excuse me, that also helps Ekholm. And, and how who, much? And how much would he? Let's say you re-signed him to a four year contract. It would probably be less than six point two five, right? Ekholm? Yeah, if you resign, no, I would, would be more than you that. You would be more, you think? Okay, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like that's so to me, this is the three. There are three big pieces to this debate. Ellis is 30, just turned 30 in January. Ekholm will turn 31 in May, so they're about the same age. Ekholm is 10 times more durable. Ryan Ellis, we've seen a lot of injuries with him, right? Ryan Ellis, maybe a slightly better player than Ekholm. To me, if if they're about the same price. 
I think you could make the case to re-sign Ekholm and trade Ellis. I never thought I would ever say that out loud, but I'm with you. I don't think they do. I, I think they move Ekholm because Ekholm can help a team now, which could, I think, return more because he's affordable. And Ellis, of course, is, is held in, in, you know, in, in, in such high regard like you're talking about. So I don't think it's really a debate inside the office at 501, but I do think it's a much closer debate than even I anticipated when you presented it to me on Tuesday. Right. And the reason why this came out was because Elliot Freeman of Sportsnet, who we referenced earlier, first on his podcast and then in his column, talked about whether the Predators would trade Ellis instead of Ekholm and, and, and broke down the reasons why. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I asked a, I asked a pro scout um, from another team the other day, if given the opportunity, which one would you rather have? And he said, it's splitting hairs for me. Like they're both incredibly well thought of by the by not just the predators but everyone around the league i mean the predators regardless of what happens the predators are in an, an enviable position when it comes to those two defensemen because either they have both of them and they continue to play well or they trade one of them and they get quite the return so <laughs> and, and they're you know, the they, second best defenseman on the team <laughs> both of them right uh, would be the second best Here, okay here's my question Let's say for the some money- teams for some teams, they might be the best defenseman on the team. They but- might like Ryan Ellis would be the number one, both Matias at home and Ryan Ellis would be number one defenseman on many teams in the NHL. So let's say they are both signed through age 35, which Ryan Ellis is at 6.25 million per year. They're both but- 30 years old, by the way. Uh, Ek- well, at will turn 31 in May. So he'll, he's at Ek- home is slightly older, right? So let's say they are both signed through age 35, slash 36 for Ekholm. So 35 for Ellis, 36 for Ekholm, which would be the same year on the calendar. Let's say Ekholm is 6.5 million, Ryan Ellis is 6.25. About the same amount of money, give or take a half a million dollars or whatever, right? Let's just call it about the same amount. Right now, you're in charge, Adam Bingen. You can get about the same amount in return for him, right? You're going to get, let's say, a first-round pick and a prospect for for either one of them or, or whatever the deal is. So basically, all these things are about the same, right? Who are you moving? <sighs> That's a very hard question because I think the, I think the, um, I think the, sorry, I lost my train of thought. The durability of Matias Ekholm and how he played over the seven games with Yossi and Ellis out of the lineup. I feel like this groundswell of support for Ekholm rose out of that. Like, not to say that people did not like Matias Ekholm before. People love Matias Ekholm. Predators fans love Matias Ekholm. But I feel like they began to love him even more because they said that if without Roman Yossi, without Ryan Ellis, he can still do the job. And he did it very well. Yeah. Um, I, I, am, I, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, like you're saying. But I also don't want to be a prisoner of, like, my general love of Ryan Ellis. <laughs> like, I just have always been a huge fan of Ryan Ellis. And so I, I'm trying to divorce myself from both of those things. And I still think it's about the same. I still think you're, I, I think Ekholm's durability, even though he's a year older, I think the, I, I, I am more concerned about Ryan Ellis long-term than I thought I was going to be. It's like, our, it's Victor Arvidsson, right? He's the Victor Arvidsson of, of defensemen. Incredibly talented, incredibly skilled, very good at what he does. Can he take the beating? over the course of the next five years? I think that's a fair question. I mean, it is a fair question. I I think Ryan Ellis is the better all-around player. 
I think he can contribute more, especially on offense, more than Ekholm can. Um, albeit slightly, but I still think he is the better all-around player. But the other thing you have to consider is, you know, Ryan, like Ryan Ellis is signed to a below market value contract. Like, and at least, you know, you have that locked in for six more years. You know, Ekholm is probably going to make more than that on his next contract, depending on the salary cap world. And, you know, perhaps it'll be more difficult to fit Matias Ekholm under the salary cap than Ryan Ellis. Like that's something you also have to consider. Um, So yeah, that's how I look at it. It's tough a very um, I, I think Ekholm's the more likely maneuver. I don't see them trading Ryan Ellis, but I think it is a much closer debate than I anticipated. All right, let's let's sort of wrap this up before we get to power rankings and look at the schedule. You got what Detroit on Thursday, a couple of with Chicago over the weekend, and then Dallas at home next Tuesday. Before we'll be back with you guys on this here show. So again, some winnable games. Just four points back as we record this on Wednesday morning of the Chicago Blackhawks, a, t- a team that I told you long ago, Adam was going to come back to earth, and they are. And I guess the last one I want to talk about is just the kids here on the team because we've, we've touched on them a little bit with Carrier. Um, they're, they're, they've dressed 10 rookies this season, which is the most they've dressed. I believe I read this in, in a really wonderful piece on The Athletic uh, since 2012, which is the most rookies they've dressed as an organization written by some guy named Bingen. And I, I just I don't know what the right question is. Like rank the rookies is not what I want to do here. But we've sort of had this conversation loosely. Who has earned the right to play in a full-time starting spot and be a part of the rebuild? And I am officially okay with adding Alex Carrier to that list. <laughs> like I am, the way he has grown and improved, Tolvanen's already on that list. We know Tomasino's a part of that list. Olivier, Trennan, I, I don't know what you think about the, the rest of these rookies and these kids, but there's a lot more of them that are showing me a lot more. And Olivier got on the board on Tuesday night, right place, right time. That line is so much fun to watch. Where, where do we stand now with these rookies and who's a part of the officially a part of the rebuild? Yeah. I mean, I would agree. Ellie Tolvanen's at the top of the list. I think Alex Carrier has played himself into that. Um, we're talking, if we're looking at the, at the 10 rookies that have dressed this season, I, I still think the majority of them are there. Um, Rem Pitlick, Yakov Trenin, Matthew Olivier, Jeremy Davies. You know, I was asked about Ben Harper by a reader the other day. Um, and I think Ben Harper's done fine in a third pairing role. Um, he's not really a kid, though. I don't know how old he is. I think he might be like yeah. 25 or 26. You know, he's he's basically Jared Tonorti, um, in the sense that he's a big guy, he's been around, he's played a lot of games in the minor leagues, he's had his time in the NHL. To me, he's a replacement level defender. He's a good player to have in a pinch, but he's not the guy that I would hitch my wagon to. But then again, I wouldn't consider him in that group. But I, but you know, you think about some of the other players that had an opportunity to play in the NHL this season: Tanner Janot, Cole Smith. Um, you know, I think Janot could be a future bottom six player on this team. Um, I know that the organization thinks very highly of him. A couple of weeks ago. I spoke to Ryan Warsawski, who's the head coach of the Chicago Wolves. And now I'm sure reader listeners, excuse me, know that the Predators are sharing the Wolves with the Hurricanes. So Warsawski is the head coach of the Wolves. And he, and he said that if he were to name a captain for the Wolves, he would give Tanner Janot the C. Oh, nice. So he has spoken very highly of him. So I could see Janot being a fourth line guy in the mold of Olivier for years to come. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Does Ellie Tolvanen and Alex Carrier's development allow you to move 
Matias Ekholm and maybe pursue moving Victor Arvidsson? I'm not, I'm not quite there yet on Arvidsson. Um, on one of the defensemen, yes. Um, but I'm not quite there on Arvidsson. I, I, I do worry about Arvidsson, similar to how you were discussing Ryan Ellis. Um, but Tolvanen certainly makes it easier to move a player like Mikhail Granlund. Yeah. So there's yeah. that. Well, and I, right now, I mean, the great future Hall of Fame, Callie Yarncroke, is carrying the bottom six, of course, uh, who is the star of, of this particular year's podcast. Um, so right now, like the bottom six feels pretty good. I, again, you, you get rid of some of the guys that are on the one-year contracts. This is what people were clamoring for, man. People were like, let the kids play, let the kids play. And sure enough, after 10, 10 or 12 games or whatever the number is, Alex Carrier looks like he's a guy who could actually start next to, you know, uh, one of these big time defensemen for the, for the next foreseeable future. This is a, this is a guy with pedigree. Like this is a guy who's supposed to be this good. It's just, he's taken a long time to get through the system and there's a lot of good defensemen on the Preds roster. So I I see what people are talking about. And again, goes, goes back to our conversation. It's great that the team is playing better, that they're buying into John Hines system, that the goaltending is improving all that stuff. It's great. Don't, don't miss the forest through the trees. Okay. Let the kids play, focus on that ice time trade the pieces you can acquire as many assets. And Oh, by the way, you still might make the playoffs. It's a, it's not, you could be in a lot worse situations than that. Absolutely. So that's it. Power rankings. You want to do some power rankings now? Yeah, let's knock it out. All right. Uh, this is your segment of the show. Now your favorite part, go for it. All right. I have to pull up the standings first. <laughs> yeah, I forget you're a prisoner of the moment. I'll but we've some- talked about this. Power rankings are about being prisoners of the moment. Well, Tampa, Tampa Bay is number one. They've won five games in a row, so I'll put them at number one. I'll put Carolina at two. I'll put Florida at three. I'm going to put Nashville at four on their recent stretch. Columbus at five. Chicago at six. Dallas at seven. Detroit at eight. Dallas or Columbus? Who has a better record at the end of the year? Columbus. Okay. I can see that. I like Tampa, Carolina, Florida. I'm kind of with you. I think Nashville's the fourth best team. <laughs> at least in the current, at least within the past week. It feels so strange to say that. It's just so, so bizarre. Um, all right. So that, that about does it. Uh, sorry, Preds fans, for yelling at you. I still love you. Uh, Adam is sorry for giving you all those metrics to tell you that your 5-3-1 and one record over the last nine is really not as good as, it th- as you think it is. So we, we do apologize about all of that. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show, of course. Uh, Adam, where can people find you? On Twitter at Adam Vingan and at theathletic.com. Pay for good journalism. Of course, go to Jasper's, our wonderful sponsor uh, on West End, elevated sports bar food. It is a fantastic menu. You got the gold standard cocktail named after this year podcast, which is pretty cool. And if you go take a picture, you know, you post it on the socials, tag Jasper's tag 440 sports. That'd be cool. We would appreciate that. Um, and uh, of course, free parking, great menu, great place to watch the game and happy hour every Preds game, 4 to 6 p.m. every day. And then, of course, during the Preds games as well. you got wings, collie poppers, all kinds of cool stuff. So go to Jasper's, check it out. We do appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. For Adam Bingen, my name is Braden Gall. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.